0: Welcome to episode 192 of the Energy Talks podcast. I'm energy and climate journalist, Markham Hislop. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Richard Allen, who is chairman of Australia-based United H2 Limited. It's a, they bill themselves as the world's largest hydrogen conglomerate with investments in 37 companies. And they're going to be setting up shop in North America, specifically in Canada. They're going to be, I guess, listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange uh, later this year. And I'm very curious what they're going to bring to the emerging hydrogen economy in Canada. So welcome to the interview, Richard.
1: Thanks, Malcolm. And thanks. uh, Thanks for having me.
0: Well, I'm my take on this and we're going to we're going to start off this interview with a discussion of why you think hydrogen is going to emerge as, you know, a major... Energy transition fuel alongside wind and solar, you know, basically clean clean electricity, and our take here uh, at Energy Media, essentially after we've we've listened to the you know I've interviewed uh, the the critics like Michael Liebrecht at at, uh, of Bloomberg late of Bloomberg NEF and Paul Martin an engineer who's worked in hydrogen for all of his career, Uh, but I've also listened to you know I've interviewed any number of. Folks who are working for, uh, you know, hydrogen bus startups, uh, hydrogen producers—they're working hydrogen, you know, methane pyrolysis that makes hydrogen out of natural gas. On and on and on, and they're quite convinced that that hydrogen has got a lot of potential and will meet its potential. So, our take on this is that this is a really dynamic sector of the renewable energy economy. And I want to see where it goes. And I I think think this is great. This is innovation. Even if it turns out some of these applications don't work, you know, like shipping hydrogen long distances in a pipeline may not turn out to be feasible, but we need to try these things. And if we don't invest money in them, if we don't have governments investing, you know, trying to de-risk some of the promising technologies, we'll never know. So I'm curious, what's your take on all of this?
1: Well, it, basically, what, what, why hydrogen? If you're going to say, well, when it combusts, it emits water vapor. So it's not, not obviously uh, emitting any carbon dioxide. Uh, it's a common element. It's the most common element in the world. And one of the good things about it is that it's available to everybody. So we don't have a situation where energy is concentrated in one part of the world, whether it be the Middle East or, or Russia or wherever. Um, this this is an opportunity for the whole world to be able to uh, access uh, energy, and in in the future at probably a con- affordable cost. Um, the energy and density of hydrogen is three times the energy density of uh, gasoline, and unlike wind and solar, it's an energy that you can use when you need it. Um, it's not relying on the wind blowing or the sun shining. It is available to you if you've got it in a, in a situation where you've got it stored and compressed, you can utilize it anytime. So it's available, it's dispatchable. And as it's a real fuel, it's also a fuel that's gonna be very suitable for mobile equipment. Um, I see know that JCB in the UK, for instance, is uh, looking, spending a lot of time and money on hydrogen as fuel for their excavators and their industrial equipment. Um, I think they say a 20 ton excavator becomes a 30 ton ton excavator if you go electric because 10 tons of battery and its availability is less than than half its availability if it's equivalent to a diesel. So you really need two for the price of one, you know, two two machines to do the job of one machine. So these are the areas where we see hydrogen as being the ideal transport fuel in the future. So we're not
0: talking about, you know, like the the Toyota Mirai, the you know, their, their little uh, hydrogen car. We're not talking about uh, passenger cars or even pickup trucks. We're talking mainly about what uh, heavy duty, uh, long haul trucks. And and I should say uh, we did an interview with uh, a, the fellow who looks after transit for the city of Edmonton. And they're testing out a couple of hydrogen buses and his you know he was pretty clear about it he says look we've got 60 electric buses already and they work great but there's some problems with them you know in canada you wouldn't have this problem in australia but in canada particularly in alberta it can get down to like 30 or 40 below celsius i mean that's pretty cold and not much works uh, at that temperature and certainly not uh, electric buses don't work as well and they they want to test and see how hydrogen works during a cold Canadian winter, uh, and they also have trouble um, with their with the electrical grid. You know, to to build out in their bus barn, they've they've reached the capacity for putting in elect, electricity infrastructure, and so they want to say, okay, well, you know, if it's maybe it's a pipeline to get us uh, hydrogen and and a couple of refueling ports, how does that work? And, and so they're they're doing this pilot project. And so I guess we'll we'll see where that all ends up, whether the applications that you're talking about actually prove out in the real world. So, what's your take on proving out the technology in the real world? Do we have enough experience yet in different parts of the world to, to say that this is actually going to work and be economic?
1: I- I think there's the underlying experience is there, Markham. That um, you know, there's, there's going to be plenty of bumps in the roads, as there is with uh, EV vehicles, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, yeah, you know, one of the one of the issues about uh, hydrogen is that um, hydrogen is a pain in the metal because of the fact that uh, you store it in a metal container, it causes embrittlement, etc. There's technology that's going to be have to be developed. We're seeing um, uh, carbon storage is being a, a, a Carbon fiber storage is pr- potentially the way of storing hydrogen from, for fuel tanks for motor vehicles. This technology is all evolving and developing. It's it's building off existing technologies. Um, those, those challenges, I think, uh, will be addressed fairly quickly. Um, but it, I think as far as a, a fuel, it is, is, is controllable, usable, dispatchable, uh, able to refuel quickly all these pluses that we're so used to with uh, with gasoline or diesel oil, um, it'll be able to replicate those those types of convenience. What about, energy-
0: sorry, what about the, the argument that there will be large-scale exports of hydrogen? Now, Liebrick in particular was very critical of this. He says the physics just don't don't lend itself to shipping by pipeline and then compressing it, putting it into a carrier ship and sending it off to Japan from Canada's West coast, as an example. And what would your take be on that argument?
1: Well, there is work being done, obviously, is using ammonia as the carrier fluid for the energy. Um, I think that's where the the marine industry is looking to, um, to, to utilize ammonia as the fuel carrier. Uh, we're seeing work being done here in Australia primarily uh, by the mining companies because obviously they have you know, a significant footprint for their uh, marine marine activities and they're looking at uh, utilising ammonia as the fuel. I think there's going to be some there's, there's work to be done and I think that we'll still see work being done around uh, cryogenics. Uh, we're seeing things that have been done in the LNG industry. Potentially the technology that was developed there will be you know, modified or absorbed into the hydrogen in- industry. Um, we'll see much of the oil and gas industry as they refocus, apply technologies that they already have available to them, and they'll apply them to the new, the new medium. Uh,
0: there is one area where I can see, you know, I'm, I'm a reporter. I don't, I'm not an engineer. I don't have any experience in this, but just intuitively, and based on the interviews that I've done and what I've read, it's uh, making hydrogen at the point of use. So if you've got an electrolyzer, or uh, well, I guess that would be how you do it, unless they they protect this methane pyrolysis uh, uh, process. Uh, but let's assume a, an electrolyzer, and you can make it. Let's and let's assume uh, as an example, hypothetically, you know we're talking about a, a truck stop, a long haul truck stop, and so you make the hydrogen right where you're going to refuel the trucks. And you don't have to ship it anywhere. That seems to me, that makes sense. I, I can see that. And I can see it working in Canada because we have uh, clean electricity uh, in most provinces, aside from Alberta, actually, which has very high electricity prices at the moment. But in many of the provinces, particularly those with hydro, like British Columbia, where I live, or Quebec, Manitoba, they have very low uh, low electricity prices. And so you've got water, you've got clean low cost electricity and is as electrolyzer prices come down as everyone is expecting them to, uh, by uh, 2030, I think we're looking at, you know, the goal is to get down to one or $2 per kilogram. Uh, that seems to me to make a, to make a lot of sense. Am I out, out to lunch here?
1: No, I think, um, I think you're just moving along from the fact that, um, you know, I think you're like the United States got a very old, uh, distribution network for electricity and there's been a focus over recent years of uh, distributed generation versus distributed electricity. you know traditionally we've distributed electricity in countries like Australia where we've got very very long uh, distances to cover we're sending electricity hundreds of kilometers down long skinny wires um, to small settlements of maybe 30,000 people. And by the time you send two electrons down down the wire, you get one electron out at the other end, so yeah. to speak. And distributed uh, generation is is something that America's seeing because of the cost of the infrastructure for the distribution network uh, to to replace it means that think differently, put the put the energy where it's needed, and your the concept of having. Um, a few refueling station, which is a self-contained refueling station, um, means you've got no distribution costs. And your actual cost of um, your fuel, a lot of the middle costs, the middle distribution costs are removed if you go down that route. It is a, it is an elegant solution.
0: And what about hydrogen as a storage medium for, for renewable electricity? And Los Angeles, as an example, has this big uh, project they're working on where they want, I mean, California has so much solar and, you know, they're having to curtail uh, production and they want to use surplus solar to make hydrogen, which then would be stored and it would eventually displace natural gas in, in, in gas power plants. And essentially these days you can get, uh, you know, uh, dual fuel turbines. So they'll run on either natural gas or, or hydrogen. And eventually, eventually, you you basically use uh you know hydrogen as a storage and so when the sun doesn't shine and the wind doesn't blow now you're taking hydrogen out of storage putting it into the running it through the these power plants and and that's how you uh you maintain um balance on the grid and 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 grid reliability and what do you think about that kind of an approach
1: i think it is an excellent approach it's basically is um you know, at the moment, yeah, we're seeing very large batteries being built to apply, try and achieve the same outcomes, uh, whereas the hydrogen itself is a battery utilising existing infrastructure or modified existing infrastructure. Certainly the same wires and poles as um, what exists today, not having to rebuild um, extensive infrastructure, you know, from solar and uh, PV farms that are located in regional areas occupying potentially for you know, high-quality agricultural land um, is much of the existing infrastructure that we can use, reuse in in the new world is going to be a significant saving in in the overall cost of dis- distributing the energy. Okay. I think there is work to be done on the storage itself. Uh, There's still work yes. because you know hydrogen is is likes to disappear, and um, the ability to protect uh, to protect the um, the steel itself is important. So the question of liners, plastic liners, hydrogen seems quite happy in plastic pipes. Um, we're seeing some you know, work that's been done around the world where they've put hydrogen into existing gas networks. Uh, the steel pipes are a problem, but where they've used ga- uh, plastics or PVC type um, distribution of pipe works, um, it, it's been OK. So there is work to be done in that space, and, but it's an evolution.
0: Okay, so we've, we've talked about some of the production and some of the transportation of hydrogen applications, different applications for hydrogen. Uh, Richard, tell us a little bit about your, your company and the companies that you've invested in that you work with and how their technologies fit into this framework that we just discussed.
1: Well, across the 37 companies that um, are in the UHL group at the moment, it's a very diverse group of, um, of of companies, and it basically covers the entire supply chain from from generation of elect- uh, from generation of hydrogen itself, um, right through to um, to storage and distribution, and as in networks and refueling to the end users. Um, the 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 group itself has got wind and solar-generated um, um, uh, electrolyzer generated hydrogen as part of part of the group, as well as um, waste in uh, terms of non recycled plastics to low-carbon hydrogen, capturing the carbon and producing hydrogen. So it's a various various companies spread across the group, and then in the in the distribution space, there are there are uh, entities that. Um, have storage capabilities, transport capabilities, uh, refueling capabilities and uh, to end users such as companies like uh, H2X, which is um, which is a fuel cell company that's um, produced the first fuel cell pickup. Um, and they're currently just going through a process of commercializing that technology and potentially listing on the London Stock Exchange. Um, but also we we have H2X, um, Aviation H2, which uh, basically at the moment is at the point of utilizing or testing ammonia fuels in a turbine uh, to produce a, you know, to produce a transport fuel uh, for airplanes. And I think they're about 12, 18 months away from actually doing um, flight trials with, with that um, modified turbine. So it's a, a very diverse group and uh, one of the reasons it's so diverse is that it spreads risk across a lot of different technologies. I think the hydrogen industry today is sort of like the oil and gas industry was back in the 1920s. You know, when you had, you know, people, companies evolved to find solutions through that period. You know, um, in the 1920s, uh, they're only just starting to use drilling fluids. Well, today, drilling fluids is used extensively in all oil and gas uh, uh, activities. And there are different companies that grew out of that, whether it be um, tubulars for um, casings or whatever, drill pipes types of types of connections logging tools all these sorts of things evolved um and hydrogen is at sort of that stage in his life where we've got lots of little companies doing innovative things and they're finding a pathway to um help find solutions right across the supply chain
0: now richard my understanding is that you've got 40 years experience of working mostly in oil and gas what did what did you do in the industry
1: i worked upstream for one of the dresser industry companies and um basically, so actually at the exploration phase. Um, and I was in the industry for about 20 years and then I moved across into renewables and started a company called Plantation Energy, which is a densified biomass fuel pellet plant, uh, pellet business. And so it's sort of a segue from blue and black power across to, um, to green power. And um, yeah, so it's been an interesting journey over the, over the period.
0: Are, are you an engineer by training?
1: I was a civil engineer in my first life. Yeah.
0: Oh, my condolences. <laughs> no, I can I can say that. I can say that because my son-in-law is a civil engineer and I tease him relentlessly.
1: <laughs> yes. Well, I started off building roads and bridges and then uh, I worked in a desert in Saudi Arabia doing that. And um, I'd be in the desert for six months and two weeks out and I had a neighbor. I was at a flat in London at that time, and my neighbor was in the oil and gas industry. He said, You're nuts. He said, Come and work for us. It's uh, two weeks in the desert and two weeks out. So it's a bit better than six months and two weeks. So <laughs> it was a transition.
0: I, I, I understand the attraction. Um, so, what about um, the waste to H2 technologies? And I, if, I under, if I heard you correctly, you were talking about waste plastics
1: yeah the non-recyclable waste plastics how does that um, work well the non-recyclable waste plastics a lot of plastic is not certainly the the um, um like the the plastics that are used in bags and sheeting and all those sorts of things don't get recycled the harder plastics get recycled but not these not the soft plastics um and they're they basically are all ending up in landfill at the moment, and, um, breaking down into microplastics and ending up in the environment one way or another so we we have an agreement with um, powerhouse in the uk to utilize their technology um, to convert the non recyclables to hydrogen so basically it's a it's a it is a pyrolysis type of gasification technology so you gasify it you filter it and then you create a syngas obviously that can be utilized for um either generation of electricity but then take the next step and you and you strip the hydrogen out of that gas and capture the hydrogen and um, uh, that hydrogen too, at the same time capture at the moment, there're about seventy percent of the carbons captured. So it's classified low carbon technology. Um, but uh, yes, to take that um, waste stream and we for for a part of the plastic world that isn't recycled, Turn it to some positive use and 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 extract the hydrogen while capturing the carbon.
0: Now I understand you're you're coming to Canada. What are your uh, your plans uh, here?
1: Well, we're aiming to list on the Canadian Stock Exchange in you know quarter four this year. Um, and the reason we're coming to Canada is basically to to meet Greek people, and uh, we are obviously looking to raise money. Uh, North America, obviously, is where all the capitals are going at the moment, primarily driven by the IRA in North America. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a it's a part of the world where you're starting to understand hydrogen a lot better than um, certainly here in Australia. And um, we see that's where the growth to be. And we'll create a Canadian company and we'll, we'll have an office in Canada and staff it with Canadian people. And. We'll look to grow the company into North America in a quite an aggressive way.
0: Well, very interesting. And uh, one of I, I understand the uh, attraction to the United States. I mean, we're we're having problems even in Canada because the you know some companies that were startups here are moving down to the states to take advantage of the uh, Made in America provisions in the uh, in, uh, Infrastructure re- uh, Inflation Reduction Act. And I mean, there's just so much money flowing. Uh, You know, I was I was reading in Bloomberg uh, just uh, yesterday that they they they, you know it's was estimated that that act alone will be three hundred sixty nine billion dollars by twenty thirty, but in fact it's likely to be over five hundred billion because there are investment tax credits that and and so if those are uh, uh, well utilized. Uh, than the the amount that will be invested or the, the amount of subsidies available will be much higher than than we've been uh, thinking. So is when i'm I want I'm leading up to a question here, and this is a debate I have all the time in Alberta. And it's when I talk to Albertans who are in the oil and gas industry, or you know, they 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 don't seem very plugged into what's going on at a global level in energy transition work. Now, that could be renewables, it could be hydrogen, it it could be electric vehicles, whatever. But because you live in a different part of the world, and what's it like in Australia, and what's your take on the global energy transition? I mean, is it as, uh, this is a, uh, from our point of view at Energy Media, we, we argue that it's you know this is a turning point this is this is a uh, we're, we're disrupting the global energy system and now we're we're having to disrupt the industry and manufacturing because we need to build solar panels and wind panels and electrolyzers and all of all of the stuff that goes into the renewable into the clean energy industry and it's going at a frenetic pace frantic pace as it's as the energy transition spe- speeds up is that how it's viewed in Australia?
1: I think it's um, early phases of that sort of vision in Australia. There is certainly a lot of um, lot of focus around reducing greenhouse gas emissions in Australia. Australia only produces 3% of the world's uh, greenhouse gases, but um, on a per capita basis, we're a very high emitter.
0: But there again, it's driven
1: by the fact that we have very long distances between you know where cities are and and long transport haulage systems. So the, you know forty percent of the of the emissions are from transport. So um, yeah, I think that uh, there is a focus, but it tends to be more focused around the um, uh, electricity supply itself and and how that's going to come about. Uh, offshore wind is is getting to be a focus, um, but we we probably haven't seen the negatives coming. Out of a lot of these things yet, where um, large projects, huge projects, multi-billion-dollar projects, which are um, wind and solar projects, which are on the table, are going to going to take a lot of um, farmland out of out of out of the uh, available for growing uh, food for the world, which is which is critical. Um, so, I think that we're still at the early phases of of, of that overall discussion. It's not balanced yet. Um, but certainly, is um, a, a need for uh, a focus around reducing the carbon footprint of Australians, and that is probably driven mostly by power generation at the moment, electricity generation.
0: Gotcha. Uh, anything? Uh, we're coming to at the end of the interview, so let me wrap it up uh, this way. Um, what is the one thing that we should be watching for out of your company and the companies within your conglomerate? Is there a new technology, a new business model? Uh, what should we, we be looking for?
1: It's quite. It's, it's interesting that there is there are new technologies emerging all the time. But one of the companies we have is is basically um, yeah you know, developing a fuel cell membrane technology that potentially will improve the efficiency of fuel cell. Te- um, Membranes by forty percent. Well, that's a that's a huge step change in in just one technology. So I know it's just part of part of the overall um, supply of you know the, of hydrogen products. But um, you know a forty percent step change in one go is is huge, and um, that means that uh, basically if you can improve the efficiency of a, a fuel cell by forty percent, you can go forty percent further on a on a tank fuel of hydrogen. So, um, you know, these are the things that we are looking and, you know, bringing to market, you know, across the United Hydrogen Group.
0: Well, Richard, thank you very much for this. It's been very, uh, very interesting. Good luck in your foray into the North American market. And um, we'll uh, maybe we'll have you on the the podcast uh, in the future to give us an update on how you're doing.
1: I appreciate it. Thanks very much, Mark. I'm nice to meet you. Likewise.